would invite you to take your own Bibles, if you have them with you, or the passage as it's printed for you in your bulletin, and look with me at the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. And after a year, we come to the final verses of the final chapter of the final Bible, of the final of, of the Bible of the Word of God. We're going to be looking today at verses 16 through 21. Revelation 22, beginning in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, even though we are coming to the final words of the final book of the Bible, we pray, as we always do, that you would open our eyes to understand it and to see wonderful things from it. In particular today, Father, we pray that the call to come to Jesus would be clear and that you would encourage us with the fact that you would want us to call on the Lord Jesus to come quickly. As we meditate on these truths today, fill us with encouragement and hope and even joy, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I read a story uh, this past week about the very, uh, what is assumed to be the very last person who died in World War I. His name is Henry Gunther. Henry Gunther died at 10.59 a.m. on November 11th, 1918. One minute before the armistice peace went into effect. The armistice had been signed at 5 o'clock that morning, but it did not go into effect until 11 a.m. that day. And some uh, short time before 11 a.m., Gunther's platoon came to a very small village in northeastern France. The order was given that the platoon was to go into the village and to take it over. They were expecting little to no resistance. But as they came closer to the village, on the road that led into the village, they came across several, several German machine gun batteries. Now, the American leaders and the German troop leaders all knew that the armistice was about to go into effect. It's unclear whether Henry knew it or not. He did what he had been trained to do. 
Uh, he, he did what soldiers do when they come up against an enemy line. He took out after the machine gunners. As he did, his own sergeant began to yell to him, Come back! Come back! That's an order! Come back! Even the German soldiers tried to wave Henry off, saying, You don't want to do this. You don't need to do this. But he persisted on. And as he got closer to the machine gunners, he shot a couple rounds. And as he did, the machine gunners opened up and returned fire, killing Henry Gunther instantly. Now, every illustration breaks down at some point, and this one might break down a little faster than others. But here's the thing I want you to think about. Henry Gunther, although he was going against his orders and the order of his sergeant, he was fighting until the very, very end, literally. We have a similar injunction for us in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, one of its purposes given to the original recipients who were suffering and being persecuted and dealing with incredible hardships was, don't give up. Keep fighting until the very, very end for the Lord God Almighty. And that's the message, not just for the first recipients, but for us as well. The Lord God Almighty is in control and in the end, He wins. And for those who are with Him, for those who are united by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, we win with Him. So don't give up. Keep going. Even through incredible trials and hardships, the end result will make everything that we endure in this life worth it. We've been sitting in these final verses of Revelation for a few weeks now, soaking it up, as it were. And as we've talked about before, the, the main part of this letter that was written ended at chapter 22, verse 5. And from verse 6 down through the end of the chapter, we have what's kind of like an epilogue. Uh, there's no real kind of organized train of thought. It's as, as if John is saying, what are you going to do now with this book of Revelation? What are you going to do with this letter? How are you going to apply it into your lives? And as we've seen over the last several times that we've been in Revelation, these last verses of Revelation, there are several commands, there are several uh, exhortations that John is giving to us as we finish this book. And today we're going to see the final two exhortations. There are actually two calls. The first is a call to come to Jesus. And the second is... Interestingly, a call to Jesus to come quickly. So let's look at these two last exhortations for God's people in Revelation chapter 22. The first is a call to come to Jesus. Now, before we see the call, we have to hear the warning. There, there is a warning here in these verses. It's in verses 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, I will tell you uh, that when I came to looking at these verses and preparing for the message today, I came with an understanding of what those, that warning meant. I can't tell you how many different times that I've been in an argument with somebody, a debate with somebody, talking about 
Is God's word complete? Is it finished? Theologians talk about the closing of the canon. Is it finished? Is it complete? Is God's word something that doesn't, we don't have any new revelation? And I will always go to those verses in, in 18 and 19. But as I've been studying this and trying to understand this, I don't think that that's what this is talking about. That's true. God's word is closed. It, it is finished. It is complete. It is perfect. There's no new revelation. God gives us new illumination into his word, but there's no new revelation. But to understand what verses 18 and 19 are speaking about, we have to know that John is referring back to the Old Testament as he has done over and over and over again in this book that we've been studying. He's referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, the passage that we read earlier in our service. There you will remember, God gives Moses and the people a warning not to add or to take away from his word, from his law, from his commandments. And the context of God's warning in Deuteronomy chapter 4 is idolatry. It is people within the, the confines of Israel who were pretending to be Israel, who were false believers, who people said they believed, but their heart had not been changed. They had not been, uh, the Holy Spirit had not regenerated their hearts. There were people who would add to the word of God by saying, well, we can, we can worship other gods. It's okay to do that. Or would take away from things that God would say in the context of, of their idolatry. Now we come back to Revelation 22. And with that context in mind, we read this warning. And what we understand is what the warning is about is the deliberate and the, de the deliberate distortion of the message of Revelation. The truth of the word of God. John might be thinking here of the Pharisees who added to the word of God, saying, if you truly want to be righteous, you must do these extra things that we say you should do. John here might be thinking about the Sadducees who thought that there were parts of the word of God that they didn't like. And so they would take away from the word of God. And the warning is for any who would teach the message of Jesus falsely, who would distort the gospel of grace to any in the church who are simply playing church, pretending to be Christian, but not truly in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, not a true believer. That's the warning. That's the warning that's being given, but it comes with a welcoming it comes with a call, a call to come to Jesus. And you can see the call in verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Now, you'll notice that there are three words here that say come. Two at the beginning part of the verse and one at the end. We'll talk about this in just a minute. But the first two uh, references of come, the calls to come, are actually being said to Jesus. It's the last one that are being said to those who are thirsty. It's being said to the world. You can see it there at the end of verse 17. Come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Here's the call to the world. It is a call to come to Jesus. And notice we are told 
who this Jesus is. Actually, it's Jesus who tells us who he is. We see it in verse 16. I, Jesus, it's as if, as if Jesus takes the pen himself and says, I'm going to interject here, John. I'm not going to just speak through the Spirit. I'm not just going to speak through you. I, Jesus, am taking the pen myself. I've sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. This is, this is the Jesus that the world is being called to come to. Who is he? He is the root and the descendant of David. He's grabbing terms that have been used in the Old Testament. This is a, a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 11. And in that prophecy, we're told that the Messiah that would come would be both the root of David and the descendant of David. What does that mean? Well, the root of David means that it's, he's, he will be the one from whom David will come. He is before David. He is the one from whom David is a descendant. This is reminding us that the Messiah who would come is God himself. But we're also told that Jesus is the descendant of David. It's not just that he is the one from whom David comes. He's also the one who comes from David. He's not only fully God. He is also an offspring of the man David. He is fully man himself. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah who would be fully God and fully man. And notice Jesus also says that he is the bright morning star. Again, picking up Old Testament prophecy language from Numbers chapter 24, where there we're told that the Messiah who would come would be a bright morning star that would bring light into the darkness. The morning star often refers to Venus or Sirius or Mercury that would appear in the eastern sky just before morning would break as a reminder that, yes, it's dark. Yes, there is darkness on the land, but the morning is coming. And Jesus picks up on this prophecy from Numbers chapter 24, and he says, I am the bright morning star. I am the one who will bring light into the darkness. I am the one that you look to in the midst of the darkness, to know that the morning is coming. This call is to come to Jesus, the one who is fully God and fully man, the one who brings light into the darkness. Notice we're also told what he does. It's at the end of verse 17. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Jesus has been described before. We've read it in Revelation as the water of life. He, he tells the woman at the well that indeed he is the water of life that they desire. What does he do? He quenches the thirst, the spiritual thirst for all who would come to him. It reminds us of our call to worship this morning from Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Even as we heard those words as our reminder of the assurance of grace this morning, we know that Jesus is 
mirroring those words here. He is the source of eternal life. It's not something you can earn. It's not something that you can purchase. It is something that is given without price. This is a declaration of the gospel of grace. That we are accepted with God and we are given eternal life. Not because of anything in and of ourselves. But simply by having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. It is all and purely by free grace. There's only one thing that can quench the ultimate thirst that we have. And it is Jesus. It's not saying that there was no price. There was a incredible price. It cost Jesus his own life. But for those who would come to Jesus, it cost them nothing to get it. Only put your faith in him. I want you also to notice that even though the grace of God is free and we are given it without price, without anything that we can purchase or earn, there is something for us to do when we come to Jesus. That is what verse 17 tells us. Let the one who desires take the water of life. Take the water of life. It's actually an imperative. It's a command. The Bible is clear. Salvation is by grace alone, in Christ alone, by, by faith alone. It can't be bought or earned. We can't even respond until God opens our eyes and our hearts. But still the call remains. If you hear his voice, respond. Come to Jesus. Take the water of life. There must come a moment in your life when you say, this is what I believe. Let me get the eyes of our covenant children for just a moment. Those at our home as well. It's not enough to say that I've grown up in the church. It's not enough to say, well, I come from a Christian family. Those are wonderful things. But there must come a moment when you say, this is what I believe. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I take the waters of life for myself that I might have eternal life. Take the waters to command. It's fitting that Revelation would end with this warning and a call to come to Jesus and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because the entire book is about Jesus. We started Revelation in verse 1 by knowing that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it ends with the victorious and glorious Jesus calling people to himself to join him in his victory and to enjoy life eternal with him. If you hear these words today and you're not in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then answer the call that without price you can take the waters of life. Now, before we move on to the second point, I just want to make one quick comment. We need to realize that it's not just about unbelievers coming to Jesus. This is true for Christians as well. Christians must come to Jesus daily. Not in the sense of earning our salvation or the fact that we've lost our salvation. The Bible teaches that's not true. But as God's people, we come to Jesus over and over and over again because we need Him. We need our thirst quenched over and over again. Jesus is our bright morning star. 
And we must come to Him again and again, reminding ourselves to keep our eyes on Him. Only He can satisfy our deepest desires. And when we feel surrounded, when we feel as if the darkness is closing in, we remember that Jesus is our light in the midst of darkness. A friend of mine tells the story of, a Christian friend of mine tells the story of when he took his oldest son camping in southern Illinois. It was their first really big camping trip, just the two of them. And so the dad really wanted them to have a true wilderness experience. Now why he went to southern Illinois to get that, I don't know. But he did find in a park a really remote area. And so they decided to go off the beaten path and into the woods and to set up camp. And everything went pretty well until it was time to go to sleep. It was dark out, of course. The tent was set up. They were in the tent. They had said some prayers and they were starting to drift off to sleep. And then they heard it. The voices of the coyotes. At first, it was off in the distance. Not too much fear was generated by that. But then they started getting closer and closer and closer. And eventually they couldn't discern how many different coyote voices there were because they were encircling the tent. Repeatedly, the son asked the dad, are we going to be okay? And the dad said the only thing he could do was lie to his son. It's going to be fine, son. Don't worry about it. But my friend says he stayed up all night long, worried, fearful. And he laid on his back and he prayed that they would be safe and that God would keep the coyotes at bay. And as he did, he looked up into the, the top part of the tent and there was, a, there was a hole in the tent. And he spent the entire night on his back praying, looking up into the cloudless sky, seeing the stars. And he says he remembers when he finally saw the morning star. Because he knew, as scary as it is in this moment, as we are surrounded by these animals and as the darkness is closing in around us, I know that the morning is coming because the bright morning star is there. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to come to Jesus. We need to remember that Jesus is our bright morning star. And when we feel surrounded, when we feel that we are in the darkness, we keep our eyes on the one who calls us to come to him. Because that reminds us what is true. The darkness won't last forever. Jesus is coming soon. And that's the reason why we have to look at this final exhortation that we get at the beginning of verse 17. The beginning of verse 17 says the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that's God's people, the church, say, come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Now there's some disagreement about whether this is just a reference to speaking to the world and saying, come world, come to faith in Christ, as the end of verse 17 says. But I think the key is we have to go back to verse 16. Who's speaking in verse 16? Jesus himself is speaking. And it's as if in response to what Jesus has said, the Holy Spirit enables the bride of Jesus, his people, to call out to Jesus, Come! Come, Lord Jesus. Any who hear these truths, cry out to Jesus, Come. 
I mean, that is, after all, what we read at the end of verse 20, right? It's not like this is an unusual idea that we would cry out to Jesus and have him and, and tell him that we want him to come. But here's the interesting thing. In verse 17, where it says come, and again where it says come, and again in verse 20 where it says come, all speaking to Jesus, God's people crying out to Jesus to come, those are imperatives. Think about that. We have scriptural example of God's people commanding Jesus to come back. That's how we know it's appropriate for us to do that. It's not putting us in some kind of authority position over Jesus. All it is is God's people through the work of the Holy Spirit adding our voices in agreement to what Jesus has already said. I'm coming soon. Amen, God's people say. Amen, we agree. May it be so. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I wonder how often we pray this prayer. How often do we add our amen to that? Yes, we agree, Jesus. Do it. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's not only appropriate for us to pray that. It's not only appropriate for us to cry out and call for Jesus to come. It's actually helpful for us to do that. It fills us with hope. Our amen, may it be so. And the call for Jesus to come in response to Jesus' own words, I am coming soon, fills us with a sense of hope. It may not be according to our sense of time when Jesus says, I'm coming soon. But it is the very next thing on God's agenda. There is nothing less left in redemptive history before Jesus will come back. It's the next thing that will take place. And so there's a sense in which we're saying, hold on. Don't give up. Keep going. Jesus is coming soon. When we watch the news and we observe current events and we argue about what's the right analysis of everything that we're seeing and experiencing, we don't lose hope. Because the truth that overrides everything that we see and experience is that surely Jesus is coming soon. It's not just a help because it fills us with hope. It's also a help because it motivates us to share the gospel. Revelation and the Bible tell us that one of the things that we're waiting for before Jesus will come back is that there will be people from every tribe and every nation and every language that need to come to faith in Christ, that need to hear that call to come and respond. That must happen before Jesus will come back. We don't know when he's going to come back, but we know that he won't come back until that's the case. So if the cry of our heart is truly, amen, Lord Jesus, come, then we should want the mission of the church to be fulfilled. That should motivate us to pray. To pray for the gospel to go into the, to the corners of the globe. It should motivate us to, to help people go through our own finances and resources to send people out to the uttermost ends of the world. And it should motivate us to go ourselves 
Maybe to some foreign country, but all of us simply across the street. To our neighbors, to those that we live around all the time. What an incredible blessing it is. Have you thought about it this way? What an incredible blessing it is. How, how it dignifies us as God's people. That He gives us a part to play in the, the fulfillment of the mission of the church before Jesus returns. What a responsibility. What a blessing that is for us. This is a help to us. To call for Jesus to come quickly, not just because it fills us with hope and not just because it motivates us to share the gospel, but also because it motivates us toward greater obedience and holiness. If Jesus has promised to come back soon and we don't know when that will be, then that should motivate us to get serious about living the life that he's called us to live now. There's this incredible passage at the end of second peter listen listen to what peter says do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance but the day of the lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Listen. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sorts of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the day of the Lord? Now, I don't know exactly what that means. But it has to mean this, that as God's people are pursuing holiness, as God's people are pursuing godliness, as God's people are pursuing to be more and more like their Savior Jesus, in some way we are hastening the day of the Lord to come. Do you need any more motivation than that? To be pursuing holiness in your life. You can hasten the day. That the Lord Jesus returns. A pastor friend of mine tells, <clears throat> excuse me, tells the story about uh, an event that took place in his life in the summer of 2000. Uh, he was called with a group of friends to visit at the home of Dr. James Montgomery Boyce. If you don't know who Dr. Boyce was, uh, he was the longtime pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Uh, in many ways, a, a stalwart voice. Uh, during the first half of, uh, of, of the uh, 20th century. And he succumbed to cancer. Uh, he got cancer and died fairly quickly, a minister in our own denomination. Uh, but just before he died, just days before he died, he actually asked for some of his closest friends to come and to visit him in his home. And one of the things that he wanted to do was he wanted to sing some of the hymns that he had actually been writing. And so one of my pastor friends was fortunate enough to be in that group and went and met with Dr. Boyce in this group and they sang the great hymns of the faith and they sang many of the hymns that Dr. Boyce had written himself and one of those hymns was based on Revelation 22 verse 17. It was entitled, Come to the Waters. Listen to the words that Dr. Boyce wrote. Come to the waters, whoever is thirsty. Drink from the fountain that never runs dry. 
Jesus, the living one, offers you mercy, life more abundant in boundless supply. Come to the fountain without any money. Buy what is given without any cost. Jesus, the gracious one, welcomes the weary. Jesus, the selfless one, died for the lost. Come to the Savior, the God of salvation. God has provided an end to sin's strife. Why will you suffer the law's condemnation? Take the free gift of the water of life. After, finish, after they finished singing that hymn, Dr. Boyce took the arm of my friend and with vigor, with life that was still flowing from within his veins, he looked at my friend and he said, never forget in your life and your ministry that it all flows from Jesus Christ. It's a good reminder for us as we finish not only today, not only this chapter, but the study of the book of Revelation. Never forget. Never forget that God is the one who is in control and in the end he wins. And if we are in him, if we are in Christ, then we win with him. So don't give up. Don't quick quit. Don't stop going. Fight until the very, very end. And let the very final words of the book of Revelation, indeed of the scriptures themselves, echo and ring in your ears as you go to live for him. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we reach the end of this incredible book, I'm sure your people, like myself, feel like we've only just scratched the surface. So I pray, Father, that if nothing else, that your spirit would motivate us to dig deeply into your word, to meditate on it, to be saturated by it, that the hope that this book is meant to instill in us would be a hope that we know personally through the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that you would indeed fill us with thankfulness as we see the Lord Jesus Christ himself magnified from verse 1 to the very last verse. And may we always seek to have a life that is flowing from him. For we pray it in his name. Amen.